Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. I bet you didn't know that inventing activity by black inventors peaked in 1899, and it has never recovered. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of white college graduates. That's just one of the reasons why you need to know about Invent Together. When our patent system gets more diverse, our nation will get stronger and more successful. Find out how you can help diverse inventors and unleash economic opportunity at inventtogether.org. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you The Polls, driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So I am dialing in from a hotel room somewhere in America, but I think we sound okay. I mean, I'm just taking your word for it. I don't actually know if we sound okay. I think you sound fantastic. I miss having you here, but I think you sound fantastic. Okay, well, and we're not on video. We're just focusing all of our Wi-Fi power into audio and for everybody's benefit. But it does mean that we can't have the, like, usual interaction, but we'll still try to be we'll still try to keep the banter alive so margie so can you tell us where you were traveling or is this like undisclosed no. location? <laughs> nope sorry got it, it. in yeah no it, it i'm it's it's all you know i have a lot of focus groups happening over the next few weeks so we may have some guest hosts and interviews and various th- things just to make sure that we get up to the minute polling coverage, but um, and maybe sometimes I'll be able to tell you where I am, but not today. Uh, I feel like for the next week or two, I'm going to be bringing in guests to sort of help lighten the load. Um, next week, it is very likely that we will be joined by Scott Tranter of Optimus. I'm very excited about um, having him join us. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Um, but let's go ahead and dive into this week's top lines. Uh, who knows what horrors lurk in the headlines by the time we are done taping this show, but we will talk about where the Kavanaugh story is for now. We'll also talk about some fresh polling on women in leadership and the gender gap, as well as the national political environment that you've come to expect from us every show. Uh, we'll wrap up on some really, really scientific polling on the subject of <laughs> how do you spend your day? But first, let's go to our poll of the week, which is coming to us from Florida, because I am Florida woman. What are we seeing, Margie? Well, you know, there have been quite a few polls coming out of Florida in the last week. So obviously, well, it's, you know, Florida is always a battleground. It's Florida, Florida, Florida. That's been true for a long time. And this cycle, there's both a competitive Senate race and a competitive gubernatorial race. Um, so people are paying a lot of attention. They are both, they've both been fairly close. The Senate race has been quite close, really the whole cycle, you know, even, uh, when you have two candidates in the Senate race who are obviously very well known, um, and the gubernatorial race has, you know, now become, you know, part of what everybody's following. And quite a few polls have shown Democrats doing well, whether it's Andrew Gillum in the gubernatorial race or Nelson in the Senate race. And I think people were, a little doubtful of some of the earlier polls this week showing Democrats up, but now there've been quite a few. And I, I think it seems to be 
a trend here that the Democrats are doing well. What do you think looking at this? Yeah. So taking a look at this poll, um, you know, we have this morning I went on Morning Joe and they had some fresh polling out of Florida that showed Gillum up over DeSantis. Um, But then for the governor's race, and I've got to figure out which poll it was they were showing us. Um, it showed uh, Nelson up over Rick Scott, which w- I I was sort of like, well, that's may suggest that Rick, uh, that Bill Nelson has begun campaigning more aggressively in the state. He has not been very aggressive. Uh, as I walked into the studio to start taping, I discovered that there is a reel of clips of various pundits, yourself included or myself included, uh, talking about this race and. Um, for the Rick Scott campaign to make the case that Bill Nelson is, quote, asleep at the wheel, because when you slice out that piece of my statement, I am, in fact, using those words to describe what's going on. So uh, that was fun. That was a fun discovery as I walked in here. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it is it, it's the case that Andrew Gillum is someone who is not was not very well known by Florida voters, but has been is putting in the effort to be more well known by Florida voters. Um, you know, is a new fresh face on the scene. Uh, Ron DeSantis is someone who is also getting to be more well known by Florida voters, but very closely aligned himself with President Trump, and so his numbers are kind of going to be stuck wherever you find, you know, President Trump's job approval in the state. Uh, you know, it's going to be hard for him to get beyond that. Trump bucket. And even within this UNF poll, if you look at Republican likely voters, and he's bleeding 11 percent of Republicans to Gillum, while Gillum is only picking up uh, only losing 6 percent of Democrats to Ron DeSantis. So, you know, it's the the governor's race is looking more favorable to the Democrats. Meanwhile, again, you have an incumbent senator in Bill Nelson who should not be in trouble in this political environment to the extent that he is, but he's running against a reasonably popular governor um, and, and you know, is only winning 77 percent of Democratic likely voters. You have 13 percent of Democratic likely voters who say they don't know who they're going to vote for in that Senate race. So while Gillum seems to be doing the right things to try to kind of solidify a stronger position in a race that I think is going to be divided along kind of national political attitudes because these are two fresh faces. Bill Nelson and Rick Scott are much more known quantities in the state of Florida um, and and not necessarily disliked either of them. It's just I think Bill Nelson, you know, while you have some candidates who knew they were going to be in trouble and have campaigned aggressively, I don't think Bill Nelson falls into that category. Hence, 13 percent of Democratic voters who say, they don't know who they're going to vote for. And 9% who pick Rick Scott. Yeah. So, I mean, there are three, I mean, it's just, you know, we've talked about kind of public releasing of polls and the the states and races that outlets pay a lot of attention to. There were three polls that were released in Florida, I think, in the last week. Oh, the Marist Marist one. I just scrolled down. That's the one I talked about on Morning Joe this morning. (laughs) Right. And UNF. Those are three different, three different polls that came out just in the last couple of days. I mean, there have been others. I mean, that's how much attention people are paying to Florida. I don't know. Maybe you know off the top of your head whether these um, polls do Spanish language interviewing or, you know, how, how, you know, the sample sizes matter. I mean, Florida is a, you know, st- pretty diverse, large state, obviously. So it requires a little bit more, you know, a larger sample size, a little bit more attention to the methodology. I don't know, and it's not that it's right or wrong, but just as a thing to compare apples to apples, when you look at these polls, are the breakouts here, when they show by party, are they party registration or party identification? So self-report, which is a little bit more fluid, party reg, not 
presumably not by self-report, but from the voter file, you don't want to ask self-report for registration typically. So, um, you know, just in terms of how you compare apples to apples, but in all of these, Gillum is up ever since the primary. DeSantis has gotten a lot of bad press nationally for some of his comments and associations, you know, in addition to his ties to Trump. I don't know how that's, you know, if the coverage is similar in the state as it is nationally um, or to what extent that's playing a role as well. Well, let's dive into, you know, I I don't know what the methodology of these specific polls are, um, but my sense is that, you know, with the the Marist folks, they've been at this a while. I'm less familiar. That's going to be telephone. Marist is going to be Marist's telephone. It's live calls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So my sense is that, you know, on these questions of is there Spanish language interviewing, it would surprise me if Marist wasn't doing that. So it's entirely possible I don't have it in front of me, but it would surprise me if they weren't. well, let's let's dive into the big news of the day. So as I walked into the studio and checked Twitter on my browser on my laptop, because I have made the very conscious decision to take Twitter off my phone again, and it is stuck. I have not put it back on for a couple of days. It's been wonderful. Um, but saw the latest breaking story where Margie, your favorite guy, Michael Avenatti, uh, now has a, a client who has some- I took a I took a break from him. When he was started to run for president, I should just say that. Was, Do you think you know. he's not still running for president? No, but just when that was the main story about him, and I, decided, you know, folks, only one person emailed me to say, "Hey, I've noticed you haven't been talking about Michael Avenatti recently on this show." Anyway, um, but he's, you know, we're we're talking about about him again today because of this latest accusation that comes from one of his clients um, against Brett Kavanaugh, which is just incredibly horrific and you could see in all the public polling um you know how i mean how people are responding to this what it's doing how how, there's such a big gender divide and how people are responding to all these accusations how it's going to affect the midterms obviously you know it is a political consideration but you can certainly see from a lot of the conversation that's happening all over the place how you know well, triggering for sure it is for a lot of women how pervasive these kinds of incidents and experiences are for women. You have a lot of people running about their own experiences all over the place. Um, And, you know, at the same time, you see some really um, callous, you know, a, a very callous thread in the conversation as well. Yeah, so there's there's new polling from PBS NewsHour that kind of dives into, and this this is a poll that's pretty fresh out of the field. I assume yeah. it it includes information. F- I assume some of the respondents were exposed to the New Yorker story that came out on Sunday night, um, because this poll was fielded uh, September twenty second through twenty fourth. Um, however, it would not include any sort of un- awareness of the late like the latest round of accusations um but what they ask is if Brit- uh, Christine Blasey Ford's charge against Brett Kavanaugh is true do you think Kavanaugh should be confirmed to the Supreme Court only 29% say yes 59% say no another 12% are unsure um then when you ask who do you think is telling the truth about what happened at the party in high school 26% say Kavanaugh's telling the truth say Blasey Ford, uh, 42% the plurality say they're unsure, which is, I think, a totally fair thing to say, considering we have not had a hearing on the matter yet or any, you know, there has not been an FBI investigation, any of those things. Um, So in a way, 42%. I'm actually 
let me just say this. I am heartened by the fact that 42 percent say unsure um, because I think that that is a rather than this just being the two the bar for Kavanaugh mirroring Republicans, the bar for Blasey Ford mirroring Democrats and this being a totally partisan thing. I think it's I'm actually heartened that people are saying, look, let's just get more information before we jump in instead of at least the public having immediately gone into partisan camps. Yeah, but the poll also found 54 percent of Republicans believe Kavanaugh should be confirmed even if the allegation is true. And I I know that, you know, there are a lot of twists and turns that folks who are listening to this show are following that voters who are hearing about this but may not know all the details may not have yet and will learn soon, presumably. Um, that said, that number, I mean, this is, you know, the – the thing that's upsetting here is not simply, although this is still obviously uh, uh, tragic, that there are accusations and that there are these experiences that women have and that they are so common, right? There's that. On top of that, you have you know Republicans saying, well, you know, even even if it's true, this you know he he deserves to be on the bench. He should be confirmed if the allegation is true, which is. You know, dismissive, not just dismissive of the accusation, dismissive of the actual, you know, crime itself and its importance and its relevance to, you know, somebody who's looking for a lifetime appointment on the highest court. Well, I think even setting aside what was alleged, you now have a situation where if it's true, he has said categorically, I did not do this. I was not at a party like this, et cetera, et cetera. So at that point, even setting aside how you feel about what someone has done when they were 17 when you are 50 if you lie about those lie about it. if you if you lie about it that that is a, another a big issue um so i think and this is when you and i were on uh was it john king's show last week and he was like help us out ladies <laughs> help the guys figure out what they should say i mean that was my sort of perspective was look we can you can say we need to investigate this thoroughly that we should take that even if you don't think we should believe everything as soon as you hear it, that you should take it seriously and investigate it. Take that position. That's fine. Um, But the idea that like what is being alleged is just no big deal, like that's sending a terrible message to women about their value. It's sending a terrible message to young men about what is or is not expected of them in society. Um, It's just like don't go down that path. That's a terrible path. Um, And not all Republican leaders have, but there have been more than a few. Uh, And clearly you have 54 percent of Republican voters that think, yeah, even if he did this, it's it's no it's not something that should keep him off the court. Now, again, that is different than that was this specific allegation. The two that have come after um, have have added new information and sort of new levels of horror onto what is being alleged. And so. You know, if you asked about the latest allegations, which are about just flat out, you know, rape, trying to get women drunk, those sorts of things. I mean, it could be different than what was originally alleged, like the polling on it could look different. Um, I believe the other thing I saw on Twitter as I was walking in is that with this third round of allegations, you are seeing some groups that have spent money to back Kavanaugh now saying like, well, we're going to look into this, like wondering, OK, did we really maybe did we get too far out over our skis? Do we need to investigate this a little more? Um, but all, all of which is to say that I think as of two days ago, if you're just asking about the question of who do you believe Kavanaugh or Blasey Ford, the fact that on that question, it's not 
purely a partisan thing with, you know, only independents in the unsure category, I think does suggest some level of of like, okay, well, let's just get to the truth and hear what people have to say instead of immediately rushing to partisan corners on the part of the electorate. Yeah. Um, uh, well, we also have like, so how will this affect the elections, which again, it feels this is our job as the pollsters to take, you know, even disturbing news stories and sort of talk about what it might mean for the political environment. Um, the upshot in Siena uh, has found that so far um, – People's support of Kavanaugh has sort of fallen off that you now have more people falling into this like, eh, I'm not quite sure how I feel bucket that opposition to him is basically the same as it was a week ago. Um, but that support for him has fallen by about three points as more and more people in these battleground districts go, eh, I'm just not not quite sure. So, I mean, this is cool because they looked at all of the congressional districts where they've been doing this polling, which we've talked about the last couple uh, episodes. Um, And so you could see how it changes over the course of the last week as the conversation has changed. And, you know, this is this hasn't really been top of mind for a lot of voters. It may be more now since you can't avoid this news if you're trying to trying to avoid it. Um, So you could see a real clear drop and change in this kind of nightly tracking, essentially, or nightly, you know, uh, aggregation across all these different districts. Um, that said, it, it, we're not talking about something super dramatic here. We're talking about a couple points. If you look at the chart, you're like, whoa, that is dramatic. But it is really just a couple points. And oppos- you know, opposition stays where, where it is. You just have a few people who are kind of moving away from support. So we'll see how that changes. And, you know, is it different in battleground congressional districts versus elsewhere? If you're in a battleground congressional district, are you getting advertising that is you're getting so much advertising about a variety of other issues? You have a different perspective than if you're in a battleground Senate race area, but you're not in a battleground congressional district. So you may be getting, you know, Senate ads that are about this, but not congressional ads that are about something else. I I don't know to what extent that changes things, but it's just something to keep in mind. Well, this also, I think, you know, I wanted to go back to an older poll that uh, I think I'm almost certain that we talked about back in either March or April when it came out. Um, It was the Pew Research Center did a study from late February to mid-March asking people about their views about, you know, is it a big problem in the U.S. when it comes to – and this was when it comes to sexual harassment and assault in the workplace. Um, So it's it's not – you know, what is being alleged here happened either it, not in the workplace, but I, I still think that w- the findings shed interesting light on the way the public opinion around the, this story is playing out. Um, that 50 percent of Americans think that it is a major problem in the country that men get away with sexual harassment and assault. Um, there's a gender divide on that. It's not huge, but 40, only 44 percent of men think that it's a major problem, while a majority of women, 55 percent, do. On the question of women not being believed, uh, it's 39 percent of men, 52 percent of women think that that is a major problem. Um, however, where the gender gap goes away is on the question of women falsely claiming sexual harassment and assault. Only 31 percent of men and 31 percent of women think this is a major problem. So it's not no one, but it is 
you know, the, the intensity there, when you look at the overall numbers um, for major plus minor problem, um, women not being believed, I believe, is somewhere around 80 percent and women falsely claiming sexual harassment assault is uh, in this down in the 70s. Um, but the intensity is much lower, very, you know, only 31 percent, again, of people think that that's a major problem. And especially for women, it's a huge gulf. Um, only 31 percent of women think that the false claims of sexual harassment and assault is a problem where a majority think women not being believed is is a problem. Right, right. I mean, so yes, women false, you know, false claims is considered to be a, a smaller problem than some of these other things. And that's, you know, I, I think the right ranking for it. Uh, that said, this is so much higher than what it seems like the literature says about false claims. I mean, there uh, we haven't, I haven't heard of any, uh, though there may be, you know, uh, from all these various high-profile incidents of demonstrated false claim, like a made-up imaginary claim. Well, I think I think when sit- people are thinking about like the Duke Lacrosse case or the Rolling Stone article, like it, it's not that it yeah. it has never occurred. Um, but I do think Although that's that, not what this question's about. That's this not what this question's about, about for sure, for sure. But I just think when yes. you, when I'm looking at that question, it's specified about workplace. But I'm wondering what can we glean from that question that informs why people are taking the positions they are on the Kavanaugh case beyond just sort of partisanship or do I want this – did I want this guy to be on the Supreme Court or not before these allegations came out? Like is there – how else are people who who maybe didn't have a strong opinion about it before, how are they thinking this through? Yeah. I mean it, it, you know, what I've what I've learned from this past year of all these horrible stories is how pervasive all kinds of incidents. I mean, not just the most severe and tragic, but, you know, everything in between the whole full range of discriminatory, abusive, predatory behavior, workplace, you know, not in public, et cetera. Um, and how pervasive they are, how, you know, how massively common they are. And so to think that, you know, a third feel like this is, you know, it's a major problem that women are falsely claiming this when we see so, so many claims, like really the pervasiveness of it is really what is so deeply troubling. So it makes me sad to think that there are so many folks who feel that they're, you know, that this is a major problem that women are making these up. So there's also then some polling that has come out from Pew uh, that's more recent, and it's about kind of women in leadership. So a very different question, but obviously, you know, one of the big things that has been in the discussion around the Kavanaugh hearings is that they're they're bringing in um, a sort of sex crimes prosecutor to uh, handle the questioning of both uh, Christine Blasey Ford and uh, and Judge Kavanaugh in order to not have it, you know, to have it be someone where it's not senators who are politicians who are going to engage in political circus nonsense. Um, the idea that it is not going to be senators just in any in any context, I think, is probably a good thing. Um, but I think especially in this context and part of this was in response to the very valid uh 
complaint that for Republicans, all of their members of the Judiciary Committee are male. Um, and so and it's always been true. There's never been a Republican woman on the Judiciary Committee. Yeah. So this is, you know, I have done some research as of late that I think will be getting posted pretty soon um, for a nonpartisan nonprofit studying what do Republican voters themselves think about, you know, do we need more Republican women elevated to positions of leadership and things like that? But we'll we'll save that. That's your teaser for the future. Pew has some some information now about um, women getting elected to higher office. Uh, and you've actually seen a decline in the number of Americans um, or pardon me, the percentage of Americans who say that Americans are not ready to elect a woman for higher office. Uh, it looks like this is a number that has gone up, um, that in 2014, only 41 percent of women said, yeah, you know, women or America's not ready to elect a woman. Now it's 57 percent. So majority of women think America's not ready to elect a, a, a female to a higher office. Um, yeah, so the change has really come almost exclusively from women. There hasn't been a lot of change among men's men. Men's number didn't change at all. Yeah, what do you make of this? I mean, part of it is they now see like it's very clear that America is not ready, right? Perhaps, you know, there's a very clear response to 2016 here that I'm sure is part of this. In addition to, you know, the the fact that you know, we're still, you know, it still feels like a very painful gender divide and the way the two genders, which, and there's obviously a party interaction there, you know, view, uh, you know, any issue related to gender. It's just so, there's just such a massive difference there that, you know, I can see for a lot of women, you know, you know, responding negatively and saying, this is just doesn't seem like it's moving in the right direction. Uh, so then they also asked um, a bunch of questions about reasons why there are fewer women than men in high political offices uh, and broke these results out by gender or pardon me, by party. Um, so the idea that women have to do more to prove themselves or get less support from party leaders, face discrimination uh, or held to higher standards, these sorts of things on a whole bunch of variety of, of issues. They find that Democrats are much more likely to say this is why women don't run for office. Republicans are, are more reticent with with the exception of two fig of two things, and this is exactly what my research found as well. So this makes me feel much better. Um, it's always nice when you do a project and you're like, I hope I didn't find some squirrely result, and then Pew finds the same thing. Um, that for Republicans, they really believe that it is because for women, family responsibilities make it harder for women to run for office, and that not as many women are interested in holding higher office. These are things. Themes that I have heard echoed in the research that I did on this topic, um, you know, it's it's not as though on all of the other factors there's zero percent. I mean, you do have 45 percent of Republicans saying women have to do more to prove themselves than men, which puts it as sort of the top factor if you're ranking them by what percentage uh, of Republicans agree with each point. But there is a big view on the right that part of the reason why there's this gap isn't that there are tons of Republican women sort of chomping at the bit to run and are getting held back by the guys, but rather that many of them are just choosing to sit on the sidelines because they've got other stuff they're doing, whether it's family or other you know career interests that just mean that running for office is not something that's high up on their list. So which the challenge there is if that's your point of view of this is why we don't have more Republican women in office, like it's very hard to prescribe how you fix that issue. Like how do you 
you beyond saying like let's make politics more family friendly, which would be a lovely thing to do, but like okay, if that's the world we've got, then are we just going to be content with having nine percent of our caucus be women? Like what are we talking about here? So I, this you know as a Republican woman, this study both did not surprise me, uh, you know. Is is and but also just like really clearly lays out the struggle for Republican women who very much so want to boost the number of women in their party. So you don't have situations like, hey, why don't we have any women on the Senate Judiciary Committee who are Republican? Right. I mean, the thing that's interesting. So that family responsibility one is one of the lowest among Democrats, although it's not saying that family responsibilities mean women don't want to run for office. It says that it makes it harder for women to run for office, which is something that is not inconsistent with some of these other things that Democrats rate much higher, like women in politics face gender discrimination or women aren't encouraged to be leaders from an early age. You know, those are are actually, you know, those two things, all those things can be true at the same time, right? Women have to do more to prove themselves than men. All those things can be true at the same time as family responsibilities make it harder for women to run for office. And it also does not explain why, you know, because these things, these family responsibilities and the perception, you know, whether it's perception or it's structural, affects women across party lines, right? I mean, there are structural obstacles for working moms who want to enter the, you know, a a professional track, regardless of where you live or what your political party is. Um, And so it doesn't really affect, it doesn't have to affect Democratic women and Republican women differently. It's just interesting then where this rates compared to the others. Yeah, that that the family responsibilities makes it harder for women to run for office is the one area where there is not a party gap uh, is, I think, Right. I, I just, just a party gap in the ranking, but not a party gap in the percent saying it. Right, right, right. Um, and then there's also some – Margie, you had some periundum data that you thought was fascinating. Yeah, I thought this was worth including since we were talking so much about gender this week. And I think it's related to – so periundum, we've talked about their – work on the show before, um, they worked on a study that was in the New York Times where they talked to um, a lot of young adults about the role of gender in their lives and how they've, you know, a variety of pressure, pressures that they face to act and behave a certain way, their views toward gender, et cetera. And I think one piece of it, there's a lot in there, which obviously we always link to and people should um, take a look at, is this difference between perceptions of, of pressure, uh, social pressure on a variety of dimensions, girls versus boys. And I think as we start thinking about and having these conversations about why women don't report sexual assault or, you know, why, why are these behaviors so seemingly so lopsided, these interactions seemingly so lopsided, you can see a little bit of that in some of these questions and their answers here. And this is obviously, this is kids today, not kids in the 1980s. But um, you have women who are a lot more likely, girls who are a lot more likely to say that they feel pressure to not disappoint others or to put 
others' feelings before their own. They're more likely to say they have a lot of pressure than boys are to say they have a lot of pressure on some of these things. Or keep everybody happy um, is another one where there's a real difference between boys and girls and the and the pressure that they face. Or always be positive. I mean, these dimensions you you can see that that girls feel here they self-report feeling this pressure at a higher rate than boys do. And does that change? Does that affect the dynamics in you know dating and responses to? you know, overtures and, and openness to reporting and, and all these things, these, these conversations that people are having now, um, I think this is a good lens through which to view it. I think so. Well, with that, let's go ahead and take a quick break and we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees, and it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. All right, we're back. Uh, so let's jump into this national political environment for your week in Trump. We have uh, president's job approval at 42.3 percent, disapproval at 53.1 percent, uh, not a huge change from last week. Um, we have some fresh data out from the from Gallup, which has been tracking the brands of the parties for quite some time. Interestingly, their data shows that the brand of the Republican Party has actually jumped in favorability. Um, has seen a they call it a nine point rebound since last September. Now you may recall that last September was when I believe we were talking about the president as Mister Forty Percent, and like that was a laughable concept. Um, so really, like even though uh, it seems as though the numbers have gotten a bit uglier for Republicans in the last few weeks over a short time horizon, they are still better than they were. Um, last fall, it seems. Uh, and so what what Gallup is finding is that, you know, even though we talk about, well, gosh, Trump's numbers are really bad, et cetera, they find that the same percentage of Americans essentially have a favorable view of the Republican Party as they do of the Democratic Party, um, which that's that's kind of a, a small piece of good news for the GOP, especially considering if you look at past midterm years uh, in 2010 when the brand of both parties were at about the same place. 2010 was obviously a good election for Republicans. In 2014, toward the end of that year, you had uh, a, a very brief dip in the Democratic brand, but still Republicans and Democratic brand were pretty close together. Um, so it is kind of strange. You know, we are in a year where Republicans are expected to do quite poorly, and yet the brand of the party does not significantly trail the brand of the Democratic Party in Gallup's polling. Yeah, I mean, these numbers are interesting, and it's the same thing, I guess, with Trump's numbers, which are, you know, I guess, stable-ish. Um, and, you know, then there was the NBC Wall Street Journal data point, which we talked about on CNN this week about how um, Republicans have surged a bit in their interest in the election more, you know, to be a parity with Democrats. That wasn't true, I guess, in their previous poll. So, you know, you can you can certainly find places in all the public polling out there to show, you know, good news for Republicans or that it's not as 
dire as one might think if you were looking to find, you know, good news or some, you know, a counterpoint. And I, I think it's worth, I, I mean, I think that's worth noting and highlighting that, you know, even though the numbers overall, and, and we haven't talked about all the polling and all the various Senate races, there's been a lot of new Senate polling that's showing good news for Democrats and a lot of House races have gotten re-ranked by all the variety of handicappers. So there's been a lot in favor of Democrats. So there's been a lot of movement toward Democrats. Now, you know, that doesn't mean that every, that doesn't, that's not everybody. That's not everywhere. That's not every single type of question. That's not every outlet. I mean, there are still, you know, there's still a lot of support for a lot of Republican, you know, for the Republican party and a lot of Republican candidates. And there are going to be voters who may now on the Republican side be activated to vote. If the Kavanaugh confirmation hearing gets pushed till, you know, if this confirmation that gets pushed after the election or, you know, he's no longer the nominee, there's something else. like there. There may be a lot of options where now the, the Supreme Court is a much higher, a bigger deal in the election than we thought it was going to be. Um, all, all of those things may play a role. So it's not, you know, it's not as solidified as you might otherwise think if you look at all the coverage. And if you look at, so there's another poll that we've got here in our show notes, um, NBC News Wall Street Journal poll from earlier this month. Uh, they asked, you know, who has to what extent, you know, what percentage of each voter group has high levels of interest in the midterms? The group at the highest levels of interest are seniors, um, which is a you would think would favor Republicans. Um, Democrats and Republicans, Democrats have a slight advantage. Sixty five percent of Democrats have the highest level of interest in the midterms. But for Republicans, it's still 61 percent for white voters at 61 percent. Um, this poll is actually showing men are more likely to express the highest level of interest in the midterms than our women, which I think cuts against some of the kind of conventional wisdom that this is going to be a race decided by women who are extra activated. Now, it could be the case that you, again, women is an extremely broad group. You could have Democratic women who are extremely activated and Republican women who are depressed, not interested in voting, and are going to choose to sit this out as their kind of protest vote, that could very well be. And that could be why the overall women number is lower. Um, But for Latinos and younger voters, they're sort of below 50 percent. Independents are always less interested and engaged. In part, that's partially why they're independents, because they don't like either of the parties. They don't really like this whole situation anyways. Margie, there was another question in this poll that you you had you flagged as having a problem, and I think I agree with you here. Um, the wording around: uh, Do you want your vote to send a signal that more republic you want more Republicans to push Trump's agenda, or more Democrats to be a check and balance? And you didn't like the use of the word "push Trump's agenda." Is that right? Yeah, and you know, now that I look at it a little bit more, I have another quibble with it. Now, you know, this is the type of question that people are desperate, you know, people ask, uh, I've seen it asked, I've been parts of polls where, you know, we've asked something like this, like, do you want a candidate who's going to be a check and balance? Or do you want a candidate who's going to work with Trump, stand up to Trump, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a perfectly valid, important line of inquiry. Like we need to know that, right? Voters are thinking about that. We need to ask about it. They may also be thinking about other things. This kind of question, this kind of forced choice does not account for all the other reasons that somebody may vote for some, for a candidate for office, right? So I think, you know, th- that's fine. We just need to recognize that, th- that there's a limitation to this question that it doesn't include all the other important issues, but that's fine. It still captures where people are, which they would prefer. But I just want to note two things about it. When you say, 
I'm voting to send a signal that we need more Republicans or more Democrats. Well, actually, for a lot of people, it may not be about more Republicans, plural. It just may be about the Republican running in their district or the Democrat running in their district rather than the sort of sense like I need to send a vote about how I want the composition of Congress to look, which, you know, I, I think is asking, you know, assuming people are thinking a little bit more beyond their district than they may be. Yeah, That's there was a, first... a there was a fabulous package that um, uh, a reporter from NBC News did where they went down to I think it was Texas. Yeah, Texas 23. It was uh, the, the the district currently represented by Will, Will Hurd. Uh, talk to him. Talk to his challenger, whose name is is her name Gina. You, Gino Ortiz. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and talked to both of them and, you know, and then like went with both of them, one to a farmer's market to talk to voters. One went with Will Hurd to Dairy Queen, which now makes me really want Dairy Queen, really want a Heath Blizzard right now that we're talking about this. Um, and and in both cases, you know, they were like, look, you, you all you guys want to talk about is Russia, the Supreme Court and the border wall. We're on the border. And like that's not even what people are talking to us about. They want to talk about health care, cost of living like and it's, you know, in the segment when they were talking to different voters in these settings, like those were the questions that they were being asked. It wasn't like, well, gosh, you know, Congressman Heard, if I vote for you, is that an endorsement of like Trump's policy? I mean, it, like it, that's just yeah. not how most voters are thinking this through. It makes for a nice, neat, tidy, you know, poll number you can flash up on the screen and have pundits react to. But like, it is not actually reflective of what the conversation looks like in a lot of these districts. Right, right. And this question here, this particular question, the more Republicans to push Trump's agenda. I think the phrase push, if we're using this question as a way to to square off the Democratic side and the Republican side, I don't, there are some Republicans who would say, I want to push Trump's agenda. And certainly folks on the left believe, as I do, that Republicans are trying to push an agenda that is not popular, like that, I believe that. Um, but as a phrase that encapsulates how Republicans are talking about themselves, I'm not sure I would use push, push Trump's agenda. I don't know if I go quite that far. Well, let's close. So that was my quibble. Well, let's let's close things out now with something you sent me this morning that was just <sighs> I feel seen. It it hit <sighs> a little too close to home. I know this is being portrayed as a dystopia, but um, yeah, it may in fact just sort of be the the world we live in. No, um, it's it's a T-shirt from this is from Zara. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's got a lovely. Well, if we're to believe Twitter, which obviously we do. Uh, you know, my my expert knowledge from shopping, which <laughs> in this pie chart constitutes 5% of this person's day, I can tell you that does look like a Zara uh, label on the shirt. Um, <clears throat> it, it's a pie chart is a 3D pie chart. It looks like the sort of thing that like I made in middle school when I first started using <laughs> Excel to like be a part of reports and like we got a color printer at my house and I was so excited that I could print out like 3D pie charts in multiple colors. I just thought like the world was my oyster. Like that's what this shirt looks like. Um, okay. So so we were just kind of out of like using logo back when I was at that age and my shout out to the fellow Gen Xers. But okay, continue. continue. What, yes. I was going to say, what is logo? And then <laughs> never mind. It's like, yeah, it's like, you know, move this triangle and make a square and, like, and everyone like applauds at how high tech you are. <laughs> <laughs> so on this pie chart, 
her her daily it says my daily schedule working 50% social media 25% holiday planning 10% online shopping 10% more shopping 5%. Yes. Sounds about right. I know. Sounds about right. I know. <laughs> And like some people were complaining online about how it was a 3D pie, the font and, and the fact that it's all caps and the font choice itself is not very good. And you don't really you don't need all those lines, those um, leader lines, I think, to the to the each slice, you know, slice label lines. If you kind of rearrange where your slice labels were, you wouldn't necessarily need them. Anyway, it is not a very nicely designed But that's, that's part for, of the appeal to me. It's like the hipster ironic so. appeal of it is that it is this hideous, like, like mid-90s looking chart that like yeah, makes it – fair enough. It, it takes a little piece of my heart. And then my daily schedule is underlined, you know, <laughs> in a way that's – it is very old-timey on like a basic white shirt. I mean, I can't really imagine – Wearing that anywhere, but I guess it's not aimed at me. You know, I'm I I can totally see myself wearing this shirt like around my house on weekends. I I will say, if I was coming up with a survey question to ask people how what how how do you spend your day? Like, let's break down your day into chunks. Uh, working would definitely be a chunk that I would have included as an answer option. Uh, social media would have definitely been something I would have included. Um, Shopping probably would have been something I would have included and I probably would have separated out like shopping for necessities and groceries and then like shopping for leisure, you know, shopping to browse as a recreational activity. What I almost certainly would not have included is holiday planning. And now that I see it, I'm like, oh, of course, you have to have that in there. Yeah. And I'm not I, someone uh, that like decorates my like decorates my house all crazy for every holiday, but I'm just like, you know, if you think about it, like every month does have some kind of holiday that you've got to start thinking about. Like I have already begun wondering what am I gonna go as for Halloween? I had all these great ideas in April and I didn't write them down and now it's October almost and I have no clue what I'm gonna be. Hmm, let me invest some mental energy in this question. <laughs> like it really is it, it deserves a slice of the pie. I think uh my pie right now have like 20 percent like fantasy off year vacation planning <laughs> like that's like a good chunk of my day or at least of my fantasy day of you know mind space um you know plus it's like some still like an ongoing amount of like school forms and school paper management is probably like a good 30% of the time. If I if it were doing like kind of an ironic, like not actual accounting of my day, there those two would loom a little larger than this Zara, the Zara customers. Yeah, I would need I would need a worrying about football as a line item. And it can be all encompassing, would include both soccer, football, and college football and NFL football. These are things that take up a certain piece of my mental bandwidth. Um it varies throughout the week. Like it is occupying a lot of my attention today because it's uh, lineup waiver change day in fantasy football. But nonetheless, like that would be a segment for me. Social media would be a much smaller segment, especially now that I'm trying to quit Twitter again more thoroughly this time. Uh, so, but yeah, I I love the old school graphics of this shirt for sure. Okay. All right. Good. Well, we salute you, Zara. Um, Okay. So key findings. There is no blue wave or red wave until election day, folks. But whatever happens, I think it's fair to say that women's issues will matter in some way. And 
remember to be kind to your women colleagues and family members out there, folks, because it is a tough time to be a news consumer. You can find us on Twitter at, at The Pollsters, individually at, at Margie O'Meara and at K. Soltis Anderson or www.thepolsters.com. Thanks. Bye.